Hey, welcome to Minor Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. And we are two industrial designers in the big city. Sweating the small stuff. That's right. Um, and yeah, back from my little uh, little uh, family reunion. Yeah. I listened to last podcast where you had Reed on. Yes. Shout out to Reed. Thanks for stepping in. He always steps in. And uh, mostly because yeah, he has feet. I am actually clone number 357. <laughs> uh, the 356 is um, still at the farm. 355 yeah. is out designing things right now. <laughs> and then there's a, a thousand more that I can't disclose what they're doing. Yeah. Unfortunately, this week they sent us the sick clone. Yeah, I have a little bit of cough. Well, actually, I don't know if I want to like, should I tell the story about the plane? Probably not. I think I should tell it. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, let me just... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just a fun little story. Go I mean, it's it. not design related, but like, hey, this podcast is like whatever. Yep. Um, you know, I went went to my family reunion. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Went to Kentucky. Now, can I yes. ask you something really ask me quick, question. Nick? When you said family reunion, I imagined thousands of bakers, all of the clones getting together in North Carolina and hanging out in a field. But what it really seemed to be was you and your immediate family hanging out uh no there well was... i didn't videotape that's the thing I, did, oh. I didn't i didn't do any stories or anything of my extended family but gotcha yeah we had a good amount of people there maybe 30 you didn't people. want to dox anybody yeah I, well i don't think i get doxed from a instagram story you never know i mean a lot of people walk around with t-shirts that's that true. have their printed address that's on true. it okay well anyways yeah it was a lot of fun uh it was on my old uh great grandmother's farm and, you know, all the farm things, horses and cows and things yeah. like that. Uh, I was a little bit under the weather, though, when I was there. And, uh, you know, I, I had uh, just a cough. And eventually I felt better as I was coming home. But I still had a cough. And I get to the airport. And I was like, ah, I have a little headache. I'm going to take two Tylenol. And then I was also... I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just take a DayQuil, too, because I'm coughing a lot. Yeah. And as I took the DayQuil, I started to realize, like, oh, shoot, I need to make sure that these medicines don't mix. Like, I need to make sure these are good medicines to right. mix. And then I quickly realized that they're both acetaminophen. And then I started having a, a panic attack that I had taken too much acetaminophen. <laughs> and at, at that point, I had boarded the plane. Oh, yeah. And so I was feeling really sick. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever been on an airplane a flight before where you were delayed because there was a sick passenger that had to go back to the gate and let them off. Yeah. That sick passenger was me this time. I, oh, I delayed yeah. the whole flight. I even got the email that was like, Hey, your flight's delayed. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm, that was, I was the reason. <laughs> and I'm also not even on the flight anymore. So, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I got a little sick. They had to text me back to the airport, but I'm okay now. I definitely did not have an acetaminophen overdose. It was definitely my just overthinking and anxiety and, uh, but uh, it's still a little cough. Hopefully, I'll be a bit, feel better. Um, yeah. But as uh, my wife pointed out to me, my wife Allison, because of course she's my wife, I share I share with her these things. Right. She said, you know, over the counter medicine is the dosage levels are such that if you take just a few, it's it's not very likely that it's an overdose. Right. Yes. <laughs> But you, see, if you had taken an entire bottle of Tylenol, yes, that would have been bad. And then squeezed out a, a package of Dayquil and popped all those bad boys, I would have been dead. You for would sure. have been in serious danger. Yes, mm -hmm. but three, 
Three's company. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I feel like I realized that and calmed down at the airport, but I definitely did like break out in like in like hives and stuff. Like I definitely had a physical reaction. And you were also operating. But it was on... definitely from my mind, right? Not necessarily from the scene of medicine. You were, and not from your heart. You were exactly. You um, I think you were on sick boy logic. Uh, yeah, sick boy logic is not good logic. No, to work it's on. not good logic. Um. I, I, when you told me this story, I traded a story with you uh, that is an embarrassing airplane story for me. And this is on tired boy logic. Okay. Uh, so this was on my way out to Seattle a couple, couple years ago. I had just started dating my wife and um, we had a layover uh, in Dallas and it was late at night. So New York to Dallas to Seattle and we literally had to like sprint from our one plane to the next plane in order to make it. And, you know, Dallas airport is like a, a huge, metropolitan right. city. Yeah, yeah. So we luckily got on a train that just like dropped us right off at our gate, got on the plane, no problem. Were they closing the gates or did you just barely make no, it? No, no. We, we actually like, we made it with time to spare. Whew, like that's good. it was, that's good. but we were, we were very worried. I was very worried. And so, um, we get into the plane and we're in the row before the exit row. And I see that there's one guy in there sitting in the aisle seat, but the two seats next to him, there's nobody. Okay. And if you know anything about my my wife, Allison, and I, we are both over six feet. Very tall people. Yes. yes. So mm-hmm. leg room is a... Is a you know it's a luxury right and and maybe especially even a necessity a necessity yeah. probably for us yeah and so um, as the plane seemed to completely fill like the boarding process was over the these seats were still available and so I asked the flight attendant I said could you know can we take those seats and right. she said yes but do it quickly and and so I get up and I go to grab my bag from the overhead and she just goes leave it leave it leave it (laughs) and i was like okay and i sat down in the window seat of the exit row and she was like sir are you prepared in the case of emergency she goes through the whole thing in my mind okay first of all i'm a tired boy because not only was it late at night but i had also just sprinted 5k yeah, yeah so apparently my brain doesn't fire at all cylinders like right after uh you know a relay race and so um she at one point says, are you prepared to pull off that cover? And all I heard was pull off that cover. And I reached my hand up and I ripped the cover <laughs> off of the emergency door handle. Like didn't, not the handle itself. Like the door didn't open, but right. the cover that's over like the handle. like a plastic cover. Which yeah. I have to imagine is there because some other idiot like did that first years, yeah. years previous like did pull the handle in that same moment like, we should put something over that so, <laughs> so i'm just like i've i've ripped off this this cover and i'm holding it and i'm looking at her and she's looking at me and i the things that are going through my head is like i'm i am now under arrest by the federal government like they are going to take me off this plane me and my new girlfriend and and she Instead, she just rips it out of my hand and shoves it back on and gives me this look like, do not 
talk to me. Do not ask me for anything for the, for the rest of this Did flight. Did you even get a, a Canada Dry ginger ale or no? <laughs> Did you get one or no? I I, I couldn't tell if the uh, carbonation was uh, carbonation or maybe mucus. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, gosh. No, I'm kidding. Oh, but, um, but yeah, uh, Allison, she had been sitting in the former row that we were in the entire time as this happened and moved over next to me and was just like, what were you thinking? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so I understand, you know, I understand the sick boy logic. We all have those, those airplane stories. Flight, yeah. flight stories are a dime a dozen and they're always good to hear. <laughs> so anyway, then <laughs> that's our yearly updates. Um, I've also kind of dropped off the Instagram thing. I don't know if that's an update or not. I just feel maybe it's more of a confession. <laughs> Like, I haven't posted on Instagram, like, barely any this month. I sent out search parties. I mean, no one noticed, I'm sure. <laughs> That's This is the funny thing, because one time I, I said to you off the pod, I was like, Nick, I haven't posted, like, you know, what are people thinking? Right. And, and you were like, nobody cares. Yeah, no, no one <laughs> literally cares. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know about my Instagram thing. I don't know. I just, like, haven't felt... Uh, you know what it is, James? What? I just have other things I've been doing. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm giving a reason why I haven't posted on Instagram. And I don't know why I feel like I have to do that. Mm. Maybe that's just... I feel like you took a little, your little Instagram break. Maybe I should take an Instagram break and just be like, delete it. Yeah. I don't know. This was... Well, we were talking about this the other day. And I guess at a at a certain point, it's like, Nick, what are you... What are you trying to get out of Instagram? This is turning into a therapy session. A therapy session. But what are you what are you trying to get out of Instagram at this point? I mean, it's always been a place for me to experiment and just post my, you know, ideas and new things. Mm-hmm. But I think it's definitely evolved to be a point of like um more of like a diary or like a process thing. Yeah. Where I want to start posting my work as like more of just like a piece of an art almost i don't know or i well i don't know about a piece of art but a piece of process right yeah a piece of process but post it in more of like a artful way mm-hmm. instead of more of like a well i guess what i'm trying to say is i really like how visibility does their right their instagram where it's more of like hey i know you've seen this thing a hundred times but here's another hundred to one more of another context of how this object looks right and i don't really know what that means i mean i think that's i think it's a smart way and it was like a way that i've been you know i've also been thinking about and and trying to get into which kind of puts less pressure on you well it's this interesting thing because it's like you spend all this time working on like and we're going to get into the whole real designer ship thing later on but it's like yeah, you spend all this time on these products or projects that you've worked on and to just do like one post about them yeah. almost doesn't give it justice. For sure. You know? And here's another thing I'm thinking about with my Instagram. I feel like I'm transitioning from this phase of like Nick the Instagram designer to be to to more of like Nick Baker's studio. Mm. That's that's the transition I'm trying to actively make and okay. I, Maybe that's why I haven't posted because I'm not right. exactly sure how to do that yet. But anyways, I don't know why I feel like I'm giving reasons or 
making confession. Hey, man, but we're, I we're, just felt like I just, I don't know, it was a weekly update. You're connecting to the people. You're connecting, connecting with to the, the audience. Connecting you know? with the audience. So, no, that's great. What have you been up to? <laughs> it's great that you're not on Instagram. No, I mean, <laughs> it gets more, more power more for More likes me. for us. More likes for us small guys. Um, but anyway, uh, I, uh, according to the, uh, the, the, uh, document, I went to a concert. You went to a concert. I went to a concert this past weekend with Allison. We went to go see Death Cab for Cutie and, uh, it's a favorite band of ours, you know, like very, I think both of us started listening to it back in, back in high school, but we didn't know each other in high school. Um, but it was great. And, but the, the coolest thing about the whole experience was that it was at this place called Forest Hill Stadium which is in Queens. And actually, fun fact, Seth Fowler of, uh, the, of YouTube fame yes. and also former guest of the, of the pod. Right. Um, he actually, I think he lived in Forest Hills when he was working at Lifetime Brands. Oh. So every night at, at uh, nine o'clock, I give a Seth Fowler tour through Forest Hills, oh my Queens. Gosh, and, uh, you know, if you look to your left, you'll see where uh, Seth Fowler used to, he used to uh, film his first uh, review videos, his first unboxing videos. Um, I mean, speaking of Seth Fowler. Yeah, we should get to that. Uh, that would, you know, I should have held that off because then it would have been like a really great segue. Transition, but... but uh, I, I really want to get a shot of the exterior of this stadium because it was built... Oh, it looks like a coliseum. It was built Wait. in like... Yeah. It was built in like the 1920s, oh, cool. I think. And it's very... It's kind of like almost British in a way, the way that they have it laid out. Yeah. I would say it's what? 75% of a circle. Or yeah. It's a horseshoe shape. A horseshoe shape. Yes. So originally what it was designed for was... Um, for tennis matches it has these and, huge arches on the outside yeah and and like so so yeah it used to be for tennis matches okay and i don't think i don't think they play many tennis matches there anymore because the u.s open is now i think further into queens but yeah it's just this really interesting venue kind of it feels like you're in england and like everything is just very well done in there like the whole vibe of the stadium it kind of reminds you of like there's like all these hidden gems around new york i i think about um what is it the world's fair yeah Isn't that in queens as well where it's yes like, there's a giant globe and a park yeah. and like fountains and things oh yeah um that's kind of cool though. no it's cool and i think i think actually like back in i, I think early 2010s area like it was revitalized like i think it had kind of been left abandoned for a while when they moved where they were doing the u.s open yeah and they they revived it for for all of these concerts um it was originally like a tennis or or i think in the 60s it became like more of a concert venue right but um but yeah, it's just like a really interesting venue. And yeah, definitely just this kind of... This is the thing that I do absolutely love about New York is like just these these hidden gems yeah. like this. And you you can live here for 100 years and still... Not, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you'd live 100 years in New York. I'm sure there's some person <laughs> that has. But, but but the picture that I have up right now is, is kind of a great like snapshot of what's happening just outside the stadium, kind of in this like 
almost uh courtyard area yeah of just it's like green grass you've got tennis courts but then you have all these vendors along the side and all the architecture around that area is very like old english kind of tudor mm. stuff which that's the that's another thing about new york is like when you first come here coming out of a like a, a new subway station that you've never come out of it is a new it's world. like walking into a new city like because there's always uh, there's there's little pockets of like where different settlers landed yeah so it's always kind of a unique architecture and stuff yeah like so it's pretty cool and then um but yeah i mean seth fowler he was he was uh he was living i i believe in forest hills but the uh the segue we were trying to make here is actually that seth fowler friend of us friend of the pod he's uh, a shoe in, uh, YouTuber, shoe YouTuber, but shoe tuber. Now he's a shoe- official designer. Yeah, official shoe designer. Yes. So he's always been an industrial designer, right? And that's how we've met him. Yeah, and and he, um, you know, when when we were both working at Lifetime Brands is when he actually started doing these unboxing videos, and but more recently he's I would say he's gone more full time YouTuber. I think he, yeah I. I don't he, know. He's fully full-time YouTuber. Right? Yeah, I don't know if he does any other design work, like industrial design work on we the side. Ask. We, we, we. I kind of want to get Seth back on. Yeah, we would love to get Seth back on. Okay. Um, but very cool story about Seth. He um, so recently he uh, did this collaboration and with Planters Peanuts. Yes, Planters <laughs> Peanuts. Uh. And so I think an agency that was working with planners, uh, I think it was uh, VaynerMedia, they got in touch with Seth to do um, this, like to review a shoe that was designed by somebody. I don't know who it was. Right, right. And uh, I hope I'm not blowing up Seth's spot with, with this information. And we'll have to, maybe we'll have to clear it with him. But this'll be insider info for the discord if if not but um they contacted him to review a shoe that they had done for planters and he got this shoe and he was like this is just not gonna cut it yeah and so he came back to them and said i will review this if you let me redesign this shoe that's pretty sweet yeah that is that is what you have to do in that situation is like if you can like, cause you know, I I don't think Seth would want to review that shoe, but he's like in his mind, he's like this could be an opportunity, and I've, he I've, went for it. Yeah, I I've definitely proposed that on a few scenarios, cause yeah, you know, I the the Instagram thing, occasionally there's like small companies that's like, hey, would you like to have this free pen and review it? And right. Like, unfortunately, I will review something that I have designed. Yeah. If you'd like. Right. Usually they just never talk to you. <laughs> but on occasion, like with, with like Seth's uh, scenario, like yeah. they'll bite and then you get to like a sweet product out of it. It's awesome. Yeah. So, so let, yeah, let's talk about the shoe. So like this is for Seth Fowler's first shoe design. Yeah. And I think he nailed it. I think it's really nice. It's like a, it seems like a inspired by that classic basketball Air Jordan yeah. look. I'm yeah, got, so you got this leather outside with a squiggle on it. Right, and it's and it's called the Crunch Force One. The, yes, yeah. So I guess that's alluding to the Air Force One. Yeah, so it is like it is a very classic basketball sneaker silhouette. 
but it's got some nice flair to it. And I love all the little details yeah. on there. Like there's this one detail and I'm hoping that it's, that it's called out somewhere here. But oh yeah, inside the shoe is just like a picture of peanuts. Yes, like on the sole. On the, on the insole. So it's like you are stepping on peanuts. <laughs> so there's the crunch. Because if you were stepping on peanuts, you'd make peanut butter, right? Yeah. That's, you know. Well, well but that's not planners, is it? I mean, they probably make peanut butter. Do they make peanut butter? I I, mean, I can't imagine they, they would not. Yeah. I mean, they're a peanut company. Let's find out. We're Googling live here on the Minor Details podcast. Uh, yeah. They've yeah. got, so, yeah, they got planters creamy. Yeah. So, so yeah. Do they got crunchy though? That's the real question. Are you a crunchy or creamy guy, James? I'm a creamy guy. Mm, I can I can enjoy some nice crunchy peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds disgusting. Right. Um, but uh, and then there's this embroidery of the of uh, Mr. Mr. Peanut's face on the tongue, which on, is which yeah. is sweet. And uh, and also I don't know if it's on any of these images, but there is a monocle hang tag. I thought that was like the the final touch, the icing on the cake. That's like the it's cherry beautiful. on top. But just look at the video on Seth's page is just like it's so awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely link to it. You you guys should check it out. I mean, we're not like shoe experts, but from a design standpoint, I think this is a very successful design. Yeah, I think it's great. And you know, we were talking about this off the pod, but. I really, I appreciate the fact that like Seth, it's it's interesting to me that Seth didn't, he didn't like work at Nike for a bunch of years and then like to to then become like the shoe designer at Nike. Yeah. He's he's kind of, he's found this other path. He, he's which, kind of almost hacked the system. Which ta- but it takes, I would, I don't know if it's, maybe it's as much work like putting out the amount of videos that he puts out, right. like he's he's like been grinding in a different kind of way. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess I don't mean hack as in like a. I'm it, not trying to like he put down his yeah, work for sure. He didn't take a shortcut, but no. he took a very interesting path, and I would almost say the path that he took, like I I wonder if like he trailblazed. There, yeah, there's a better. He did trailblaze, and I and like, uh, but like, I think it. You know, it, it, he's got his finger on the pulse. He's like constantly, like looking at shoes, looking at materials, like looking at everything with a very critical eye. And he has five hundred thousand subscribers who <laughs> who are into shoes like this, so yeah. he knows what the best shoe design is going to be. Yeah. So I think uh, I think it's just really cool to see. And and the other part about it is like Seth is such a great guy. Yeah. Like just you know I, I think this is awesome and I'm so happy that he got this opportunity. Um, you know it's good to see opportunities go to people who've who've truly earned it. For sure. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, go check it out. Uh, Real Seth Fowler. Congrats, Seth. On Instagram and then yeah, Seth Fowler on uh, YouTube. So. Um. Oh, we have a follow up. Oh yeah. Do you want to do a follow up? Oh yeah, we got a follow up. Uh speaking of people close to us, my my dad. <laughs> James's uh, dad. <laughs> I, I talked to my mom. I don't think she's listened to the podcast in a while. I gotta get her back on that. <laughs> I think she says she's a little behind. We address her in every single <laughs> episode. She should be listening. Yeah. Okay. I want I wanna see some 
some some designs out of her. I want to see a Behance go up by the end of the year. <coughs> oh, I want to see some designs. Um, but yeah, my dad commented on, uh, I think it was two podcasts ago, and we were talking about design in developing countries and right. how you relay the importance of good design. Yeah, we had a question come in that was like, you know, the the listener wasn't like probably find it was was struggling trying to convince a client of the value of good design, and we tried to talk to it. Um, you yeah. know, we, we we gave our as much two cents as we could, but I think your dad really had a nice, concise way of uh, speaking to this. Yeah, topic. it was it was Similvar that asked the question, and then and and it was basically like, yeah, like how can you. Um, convince people about the value of good design, especially um, in developing countries. So my dad, I think, had a really excellent comment. So so he said, um, in emerging countries, personal income can be limited and people are consuming for utilitarian reasons. They tend to buy the cheapest thing that gets the job done. To prove the value of design, select products where good design does not increase cost. My guess is that at the same price point, the consumer will select the better design product and that this commercial success will convince the manufacturing community that good design can drive sales. Yeah, I thought this was a great, uh, just a really great way to sum it up. Um, I also think it's kind of a, a unique viewpoint because when I read this, I'm like, oh, well, that's purely all about keeping all the manufacturing processes the exact same mm. and just improving those small details that need improved without adding like extra material or extra parts or anything right like that. right which i i think is like a, a certain gift when it comes to design is like using all of the same materials and methods that right. other designers are using and yet you elevate mm. the product through through form and finish and i i i think i find that to be even a like a more of a challenge or more of a commendable thing right yeah than, than just like making up a new design yeah because i mean even because that's the thing is like i i feel like a lot of people they would they would think about certain um segments of design as like oh i don't want to make that cheap stuff right but it's like you know there are people that that's what they can afford right let's make it the most beautiful functional thing that they can afford. Yeah, definitely agree. So anyway. Um, another design news. <laughs> Our, uh, we have another uh, fellow design friend and um, uh, podcast guest, Joey Zeladon, has yeah. launched his Kickstarter for his hanger chair. We wanted to just update you guys on that. So go out, support jo Joey. Yeah, um, I believe we talked about it on the podcast, right? Yeah, on, uh, on his on his episode, right? We we definitely we definitely I think it might have been one of the first things we talked about okay. actually, because uh, I believe he did this when he was at RIT, right? So this when was he was a school in school, project. um, and it's just a great chair. It just takes that that like, is it the Marcel Brower chair that's like or Bauer the the one that's the cantilevered like, I believe, stool? I believe so. Yes. Or uh, bent steel. Yes. Um, and instead of that, that like wicker finish or or anything else, it's just a series of coat hangers that provide the uh, the seat and backing. And it's just like it's kind of it's a great design because like it just takes this really 
mundane everyday thing and elevates it in a way that's so unexpected but really beautiful right um and very playful at the same time it's 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 such a great project and if you need to hang your coat up just take a coat hanger off yeah the, off the top yeah I, I wonder let's check in on the kickstarter status i mean it's like it's almost there yeah it's his, like his, almost... his goal is six thousand he's at four thousand right now yeah so i'm sure that well i mean better hop on it quick because these these uh goals are going to go fast yeah so congratulations to joey that's that's awesome so we'll link to that too as well yeah. so you can but check that out i feel like all of this is just segueing so nicely yeah, into that? the topic at hand yes the topic we, of the week yes uh and nick would you like to go ahead and introduce that topic yeah so uh the topic is um this this idea that real designers ship yeah and this was kind of started well i i've actually heard this back in school mm-hmm. real designership but um michael detulo another podcast guest has recently resurfaced it and put a instagram initiative behind it yeah so now there's a hashtag real designership and there's also an instagram real underscore designers underscore ship um where michael detulo is now highlighting shipped products um from designers across the world yeah um and you know he wrote an entire article about it on course 87 um kind of you know explaining his thought processes behind it um i don't know what yeah, and the, the the title of the essay is "Real Designership." The hashtag is not a put down; it is an aspiration. And it's you know it's a really good article. I would recommend reading it. But this is this is kind of like a snippet where the whole thing comes from. So this is quoting the essay. Um, Michael writes, this brought me back to 2008 when I interviewed at Frog Design. I didn't bring a PowerPoint or many sketches. What I brought was a duffel bag full of production prototype, production products and factory prototypes. I love, I think he told that story where yeah. he just brought in a bag of things he made yeah. to his interview. That's awesome. And one of the creative directors who interviewed me, Howard Nook, Howard went on to be the VP of design at Ammunition and Samsung and is one of the founders of the Palm Reboot, looked at my table full of products, smiled and said, real designers ship. I'll never for- I never forget that s- simple summation of what our focus is as industrial designers. Yeah, so yeah, this is a great article. Read into it. You know, I think definitely Michael's, you know, viewpoint behind it is like trying to get people to motivate or trying to motivate designers to, you know, achieve the actual the actual goal of industrial design. Right. You know, I think it kind of comes out of this, this era of, Hey, we've done a lot of sketches on Instagram. We've done a lot of renderings, you know, we see all the flashy stuff, but that's not really the goal. Right. You know, the goal is to have products in people's hands. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the impetus I believe. From yeah. Cause, it. cause I think we can all, you know, for, for those of uh, the industrial designs designers out there, I feel like we can all remember that moment, that kind of like that product moment that inspired us to be industrial designers. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was working at the toy store and and interacting with these yo-yos and the Astro Jacks and just like loving everything about it and just realizing that a person had to make all these decisions about the the form and the finish and the packaging 
and all of that. And I was just like, I, I need to know who this person is. Right, for sure. Um, it's funny, like, <laughs> when you're growing up, like, I don't know about you, but a lot of things I just kind of, I just kind of thought like, oh, they've just always been there. Right. And that's how everyone thinks. People that don't know about industrial design, that's how they think. They're yeah. like, oh, yeah, this company just had us a factory and they just, it just pumps out. It's just like, <laughs> there's a magic machine that just makes these things. Right. It just automatically works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think this is very much a response to, you know, we just went through what I have dubbed uh, hot sketch slash render gate. Copyright um, that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so like a couple, what was it, a month ago? A couple months ago? It's, it's been since earlier this year. We had our episode about on it. Yeah. So, you know, the, there was this whole thing about like, you know, we should we shouldn't be showing all of these hot sketches and renders it's dishonest about what design is all about right, right. like design is about final finished things and we need to show more of the process right. and, um but yeah no i think it's like i think it's a really interesting initiative to to start to get back to like okay what is it what is it all about actually right. i i so i i forget where i've heard this first but i i do remember being in school and like talking with my friends about it being like oh yeah we're gonna ship products like <laughs> like that was the goal like we were all being like oh i can't wait till i ship a product because then i can call myself an industrial designer yeah um and i, I remember um even when i shipped the bend mirror for the first time that was almost a, a sub ship in it in above itself because i was literally shipping that right product, like physically packaging it and shipping it out. <laughs> um so like even that was like a a, a real designer ship and then even under that it's like a real designer ship themselves yeah <laughs> I, which, I don't know that was just like a kind of a motivation for me in my, right. in my mind of like can i actually make a product start to finish just just me yeah um but also there's plenty of products on here that you know most designers work with manufacturers and work with companies to ship these products right i i think what's kind of cool about michael detula's initiative and what i i kind of admire about it is like He's highlighting products that are, uh, I would say, some products are more mundane. Mm -hmm. They're not all like, it's not the lay minouche of industrial design. Right. It's, it's like just the mundane products that have shipped from all the designers around. Right. Um, yeah, there's definitely like a breadth of like the type of work. And it's, it is interesting just to see like the types of things that people, designers have touched you know, like this this one that's just uh, the, the Starbucks, Starbucks cup. Which is so cool to think about because we've all seen this reusable Starbucks cup. Um, yeah, so it, I guess this is... And the, now we know the designer behind it. Yeah, Tyler Tyler Gilbert. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, one of these things, it's like, this This is like the the Bose headphones and, and the paperclip. It's this like, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere and it's never going to get posted on any type of blog. Right. And even a sketch of this would not get recognized at all. Yeah. So but, I just really love the fact that it's getting recognized. Yeah. No, this is, this is great. And I think it also starts to open up this conversation that is like, okay, yes, real designers ship. And then like, but how do we how do we get the products to be the quality or, you know, like there, there is all this kind of like render and sketch mm. porn out there, but right. it's like, 
you know, to really be a great industrial designer, like getting those last final finishing details and going through the process, like, you know, That's maybe the not hard part. Maybe not all designers go through this, but like reviewing samples and making sure that everything is just right. Like that was, I mean, I, so I posted something. It just so happened that I, I like was home and I was thinking, you know what? I really should, I really should start taking pictures of my work, like kind of like what we were talking about earlier. And so I put together this little collage of products and took a picture of it, posted it. And then I saw Tatulo's story about real designership. Oh, that's and funny. It was just coincidence. It was, I mean, maybe I had seen it and maybe Subconscious. like subconsciously I was like, Oh, I should do this. This is a beautiful image. All of all of your kitchen, <laughs> all of your kitchen products nulled together. Yeah, and uh, so it was. You know, it's like I learned a lot at Lifetime Brands, just like in the whole process of inspecting work, and it's something that we've encountered recently at our current job of like going through and inspecting things, yeah, and how crucial it is. And to be very explicit about like the things that you're calling out and how they should be altered. And like, definitely th these, these are the things that inevitably, inevitably like make a quality product. It like, that is one part of the process. Right. And it's a, it's a process. It's a part of the process that maybe we don't, we also don't talk very much about is like that, the super back end. Right, of, of like just making PowerPoints and like throwing images in and like making it really rudimentary to be like, red X, yeah. don't do that. Because <laughs> a lot of these, you know, PowerPoints are going overseas to, right. to China and like you you really have to almost make it an, like use as little words as possible and right. make graphics as possible. Yeah, it's the longest distance game of charades ever exactly, played. Exactly, exactly. Um, but it's, uh, it, yeah, it's critical. And, uh, but like, yeah, these are, you know, that's the kind of lessons that you learn from those things. Now, on the Discord, there was a lot of conversation about this whole idea. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there was definitely some comments and, you know, a lot of people listening are students or, right. or maybe not even designers themselves or maybe a different type of designer. Um, and, and, you know, I think maybe we should say that, you know, Michael Tatulo's real designership is really about industrial design. Right. For, for you know, just to, just to put that out there. There's not, you know, if you're a UX designer, you're obviously not shipping products. Right. Like we get that. You, But you are a UX designer because you are, you know, uploading your software to people's right. phones, right? Right. So that is your quote unquote shipping. I almost wrote this comment that was like, like the only, you're only an industrial designer if something that you design could help defend you against zombies during the zombie apocalypse. That's a, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good achievement. Yeah. Like you have to make something that you could use as a weapon. Yeah. Hashtag real designers survive. And so your weapon would be a, a, a peeler. Uh, yes, it would be a peeler. Peeler? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, James. Listen, I have bag clips in my arsenal. I've got a basting brush. You could maybe like put the basting brush in some some acid, an acid bath, and just swipe the zombies really quick. I don't know what my tool would be. I think I have, well, I have uh, dog toys that look like meat, like oh, chunks of meat, yeah. so maybe that would you distract them. them. 
I could fold them. You also have like frisbees and stuff you could throw in frisbees. their faces. I, I also have like a. <laughs> I also have the one of the launching sticks. Maybe that would be a good yeah. weapon. I mean, let's be let's be honest here. It desperate times call for desperate measures, and if I have to make measuring cups into a weapon, I'll do it. Well, what we do, James, is I'll, I'll attach your peeler to the end of my my launching stick. Oh yeah, and then we actually have something that can do damage <laughs> for sure. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to say like, you know, this, this is more of just like, like Michael Tatulo said, it's like an aspiration, something to strive for as a designer. Right. And if you're a design student, like it's okay to be a design student. Right. You know, you'll get to that point of like actually getting a manufactured product and you yeah. can feel happy about being an industrial designer. Officially. Yeah. Well, and I think another part of the conversation was like, what about, what about the people working at consultancies that hand off the work to the people who then get it made? What it about still gets like, made, though. What about the the render artists that like don't really touch? Right. You know, like but, my. But then you're a render artist, then. right? I I, th- I think it's more of like a title thing. Like, yeah, a render artist wouldn't want to be called an industrial designer, right? They'd be want to be called a render artist, right? My my point was that like as long as you're a part of this process to push an idea forward toward production, like in the design sense, you know, because maybe if you're a 3D artist and you're building, like you're building things in CAD, but maybe you didn't create the initial intent, but you're fleshing out details and things like that. Maybe you're fleshing out things about the CMF. Yeah. Like, I I think that that, like that holistically that team like that's an industrial that's a part of the industrial design process and but do you do you think that it is like strict like you have to be in touch with the production cad no or like no no yeah i mean i i officially call myself an industrial designer when i had my first product shipped but my first product i had just sketched at the consultancy i interned at right and then a year later it was a real product and it looked definitely different from my sketch but it definitely was still from my sketch right and i considered that my first production design and that's when i was like oh this is official yeah because i think but there was plenty of other people that did work on that as well like i didn't do it alone and i also like didn't ever do any cad work on it but right that was like like i shipped that product right or i helped shipped it yeah because i i kind of in this moment i kind of feel like we need to be explicit and be like if you're like if you're designing things with the end goal of it being manufactured using industrialized processes, right. you are an industrial designer. If you're just doing like a bunch of clay pots that look all the same, then but you're you've thrown them a on sculptor. the wheel. Yeah, like that, or you're a potter, right? Or you know, you're a product designer, maybe, but it's not industrial because the whole point of industrial design yes. is that you are thinking of these things with the constraint of it being within an industrialized process i agree i i i also i i think that yeah i, I definitely agree because that's that is that is really to me what is is being celebrated is like you know despite the constraints of an industrialized process people who are designing products are are making great products beautiful products like the the industrial process is a constraint. Yeah, it's very difficult too. Yeah, and so it is a milestone, I think, for designers to understand those constraints and to make something beautiful despite those constraints. Yes. So I agree. Those are my current thoughts. I on agree. Hundred percent. 
Um, but I think I think it's great. I, I can see how people could read it as like, like kind of like flippant or kind of, you know, antagonistic. Yeah. Like real designership. Actually, when I first saw the hashtag, I was like, I read it as like real designership. And I was like, I thought it was about like people who are friends that okay. like that worked on something together. Designership. Or like, or like people. Friendship. Yeah, like people who work together on a product to bring it to life. What about real designers hip? <laughs> I think we're pretty hip, right? Real designers hip. Hip and cool. <laughs> oh, man. I've got, yeah. Every designer out there has a hip that, yeah. uh, that made them what they are today. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I, yes. Uh, but so that's, those I think are our final thoughts on real designership. We would love to hear more about what you guys think. There was a really great conversation happening in the discord. And I think, you know, uh, I, I love to plug the discord because I think that that's where these ideas get fully formed is through conversation. I yeah. know that the conversation that we have on the podcast, like we're not rehearsing this conversation. This is like, we are live, live, live. We're live with our thoughts. Although this podcast podcast got a little off the rails for a second, but we, uh, yeah, this is this is it. This conversation is happening in the moment. We're right. fleshing out our yeah. thoughts, and we're, that's how we get to like to good conclusions. Of course, we're not perfect. We can't get it right the first time. Absolutely so. not. Let us know what you guys think as well. So anyway. Yeah, and shout out to Michael Tuil for starting this. I think it's a, a cool initiative, and I love the fact that. I get to see all the mundane products that have been made. <laughs> I, I've had this idea before, actually, of like, what if we made a Wikipedia for industrial design, but instead of it, it you know, it was just literally every single thing that had ever been made, <laughs> and then have people's names attached to it to, to know who the designer was. That would be... So like, go, like go into the dollar store and find all the, like, the cheap dollar store crap, <laughs> and then ha- figure out who the designer Track was. Crack down... It would be like it was, it, it's some person in China that's, for sure. That's but. like some sort of twenty three and me. Like you, you put like a little, a little like sample of the product into yes. a test tube you and you send to, it in to the scientists. There's got to be chemistry involved, for and sure. they they find they find the original designer. Uh, that would be quite a show. So yeah, this is kind of coming cool. this fall to HGTV. But anyway, uh, let's uh, let's move on to some questions. Cool. Okay. We had a question come in to our email, and our email is minordetailspodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Send a question if you have one. We didn't have any voicemails this week. Uh, voicemail is 1-646-494-4011. Um, so send one in. You're pretty likely to get played if you send one in. So uh, Our first question, I don't think they had a name. Uh, they just sent had an email, and I didn't, I didn't want to read out their email. Okay, but, uh, fair enough. They said, I recently quit my corporate job of two years which it didn't let me utilize all of my design-related skills. It was pretty much limited to 2D designing and had little space for creativity. I, I want to try going for a consultancy gig or freelance work. Any tips for restarting slash rebooting my dormant skills? Or should I just focus on the skills I've been using and find a similar job, even if it doesn't help me grow as a designer, but pays the bills? Hmm. Thoughts? Um, so are they, are they asking like they want to get back into industrial design? Yeah, it appears so. So it appears as if they've been doing design, but it's been more 2D, um, and they haven't been utilizing much of their 
3D skills. Right. Or their dormant skills. Yeah. I mean, I think, okay, so first of all, I, I assume that they mean they did these two years of a corporate job right out of school. They could like, be. Yeah. That that seems to me to be what they're what they're saying here. And Context clues would say that, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I think two years in, you have not signed yourself up for any sort of like determined fate. Right. Like this, you can very, I wouldn't, I, well, I'm not going to say very easily, but you can get back into industrial design if that's really what you want to do. Like, I, I think this is a case of figuring out what you want to do and working towards that and maybe not necessarily going for the safer option. Because to me, it sounds like you're kind of, you're not happy with doing the kind of work that you've been right. doing for it the seems last like you, two years. I mean, you just quit, so. So, like, unless you're, like, the Michael Jordan of, of 2D design and everybody's watching your career and they're like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're going to be big, like... If if this if you want to make this change, then I would say make the change. Yeah, I think, you know... Or start to work on making the change. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a tough scenario, right? Because now you're in this this in this place where, you know, maybe the financial thing is, is now an issue of like, oh, hey, I don't have a job anymore. Do I take time off and, you know, burn, up, burn through my savings to focus on my old skills and kind of rehash my portfolio or do I find something right now that is utilizing my 2d skills but you know pays a little bit that I won't like Mm -hmm. I mean you know I think maybe you could do the the rehashing the portfolio in the in the nighttime right after you after you work right so if you do if you do get low on your savings Definitely, you should get a job and then right. rehash your portfolio. Yeah. I also, if it, if if what you're saying is like this person is two years out of school, then I'm curious what their original por- their school portfolio looks like because it's right. not that terribly old. No, it wouldn't be that old. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, if if you need the money, like find find another gig, maybe something that doesn't require too much time, like you know, like a strict nine to five, right. something like that. And then just diligently work on your portfolio, work on applying for new jobs. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's part of me, and and maybe this is, maybe this is not good advice in their situation because maybe they need the job. But my feeling is like I would rather like suffer trying to get the thing that I want than have to like go through the rigmarole of just like day in day out at a job that I hate. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's that's has to do with you, like your savings, your right. personal finances. So, I think either way, I don't know. I think you should. It sounds like you want to get back into industrial design because that's where your passion is, right? And so, I mean, they're listening to this podcast. So. Yeah, um, you can put that on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's fair advice. I mean, definitely, if you want it, you have to pull some late nights. Like you're gonna have to go and work for that that night those night hours mm-hmm. i think yeah um but yeah great question thanks for sending in yeah and then uh so another question from will um they say hey fellas i'm a student in Mel- melbourne australia at monash 
university studying industrial design and business double bachelor. I'm wondering if you had any advice on selecting a business major that works complementary with ID. Would you would you be able to suggest the pros and cons of heading into marketing, managing, finance, etc.? A double bachelor. A double bachelor. That's pretty and, cool. And and if Will is uh, is single, he that would be a triple bachelor. <laughs> Dad jokes. Assuming assuming that Will is 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 in fact a bachelor. But um, uh, yeah. I don't know. This is an interesting question, and I'm curious how you would answer it, Nick. I mean, I think what's interesting, uh, at least from my viewpoint, is like, for me, I studied industrial design, and that's all I got. I just did, you know, just got a bachelor's. But now that I'm moving into this area of like, you know, trying to build my own studio and having almost object, I am running into a lot of business things now where I'm like you know, getting LLCs and, you know, doing invoices and all these other things, um, making contracts. And I think certainly business knowledge would help me. Right. But also it's like, I don't like doing business. I would much rather just design and right. hire someone to do, to, to do business. Right. Um, I also think there's a lot of these here that are also very helpful, like finance uh, and mar- marketing, I think marketing is is super key. But I also don't know if you need to learn that in school. It's right. almost like mar- the marketing the marketing market mo- moves so fast that I can't imagine what they teach you in school. Yeah, like you know, you're gonna graduate, and then Instagram and Snapchat are all dead, and it's gonna be some <laughs> other thing. It's, it's gonna, gonna be some it's, dystopian. It's gonna be TikTok, social media. Everyone's gonna be using TikTok. Future. Are you on TikTok, James? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, we get, we should get on TikTok. Yeah, make some... Follow Minor Details Pod on TikTok. Make some six-second podcasts. How long do they allow you to, to video for on I've TikTok? N- I've never tried TikTok. It's kind of like Vine, isn't it? No, it's like Vine with music. No, I, that's Musical.ly? Have you tried Musical.ly? No. Okay. No, but TikTok, I think, has licenses with, like, with music companies. So you uh, can do stuff there. You know what's kind of frustrating? You know how... Okay, this is a rant. <laughs> you know how... um on instagram you can add a music now or oh yeah you can add yeah. like lyrics or something right can you do that on your instagram yes i can't stories? i can't do that on my Why? stories um, i only as i can do that on my other accounts but i can't do that on nick p baker because i assume it's, it's like be- a legacy account no no i assume it's because i have a certain number of followers oh. and there's there's probably copyright things where it's like <laughs> You can't show the song to X amount of people, yeah. or else it yet pay us. Right. Interesting. That that's my that's my that's guess. a mark. By the way, guys, that's that's your real marker of success. Not shipping your first product, but if you can't use music in your stories, it means you have eighty thousand followers. Congratulations. <laughs> I also I also run into so much trouble doing the live streams where, oh, yeah. where I get music copyright infringed on because I play music in the background. Anyways, that was, yeah. my, that was my Instagram rant. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Any any more thoughts for Will? Yeah, I do have some thoughts. I think um, one way that you could look at this. Okay, first of all, I wish I knew more about finances just in general. Like that would just be a huge advantage to me in my everyday life. Um, the But the other part of that is the, the other thinking that I'm having here is like, I think it depends on what kind of design you want to end up doing Mm, because definitely say if you want to eventually start your own studio i would say finance 
But if you're looking to go, you would into say a corp- finance over business. Yeah. Well, no, they're in they're in a business major. They're selecting like oh, a focus. Oh, I see. I see. So, but if you're going into a a bigger business, into a corporation, like marketing or management, because like that's the other thing is like. Oh, management. Yeah, if you wanted to be a corporate guy. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking they're they're sort of they're splitting their efforts into design and something else. And it's like if I'm going into a company and I've got this split degree, like eventually maybe I want to manage people and because like maybe I'm not I'm not so interested in design that I want to be designing for the rest of my life. Right. You don't want to do the actual physical design, but you love the process of design. Yeah. You love the process. And like, you know, good managers are like, you know, that is something that is so, so valuable. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I've been fortunate to have many good managers in my career. And I think like that would be, that would be a great asset if that's the road that you want to go down. Yeah. I have another thought for Will. Uh-huh. So when I was in school, I took a few electives that I thought were really helpful to my career. Mm. One was doing bags. So I got a lot of soft goods experience. But all these electives like gave me a little bit of, I guess, starting point for all these skills. Um, and, you know, I think that was m- maybe more beneficial than like actually picking uh, like a, another major or a minor mm. and like focusing because like you are kind of splitting when you when you start to de- delegate like an entire new major, um, you know you're gonna split some of your time off right from your main focus. So like if you still want to be a designer, but you also want all these kind of uh, other backgrounds in business, maybe instead of double bacheloring, you maybe you just take a bunch of extra classes of like. Oh hey, I want to learn a little marketing. I want to learn a little management. Hmm. I want a little, little, little finance. I think I think what they're intending is to graduate with a dual major, right? Which like, I think is useless. <laughs> well, not useless. It's not useless. But, but we're going to get into a resume argument again. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, okay, it's <laughs> the thing is, is like your portfolio is is what's going to get you a job, right? Will so if you are an industrial designer and you want an industrial design job. Your portfolio is going to get you a job, and it doesn't matter if if you say you have a double bachelor or a single bachelor, or it says that you only have a high school. That actually would probably matter, but yeah. But um, I I think it also depends on where you're trying to work. Like if you are going and applying to a bigger corporation, like I I think they might be like, oh, this is interesting. Like a double major, industrial design and management. I, like. That's like, true. That Maybe you could, do get a little perk for that. That could spark something. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're getting if you're going for a design job, your portfolio is like the thing that gets you in the door. But then as we talked about with the whole resume discussion, there are little things that can help you get through the door. Right. And that might be doing one of these things. Yeah. You know, focusing in on one of these areas. Well, maybe on your resume, maybe you put single major in industrial design plus I took extra classes in these things. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Right. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll come into the Discord and, and let the other people tell 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 you how it is. Yeah. Because I feel like I gave you not the best advice. But maybe I did. I don't know. We're that's but that's the thing. We're we're here to spitball. We're here to talk through these problems because maybe you don't have anybody to talk to about it. And and I love 
uh, Dave Joseph once said this in the Discord was like, you know, all of these opinions, like they are, I, I think he said it's something like they, they amount to a symphony in mm. your head. So it's like, there's there's nuggets of truth everywhere. You just kind of have to parse them together. That's a eloquent way. So anyway. Um, shout out of the week. Shout out of the week. I found this guy. His name is Steve Geralt. And he is a visual engineer based in New York City. And I got to say, like, the stuff he makes, this is not design related at all. He, it is in a way. Okay, in a way. Uh, he's designing robots to film a lot of his films are food related so you know you'll see like we're watching this it looks like tea coffee 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 or tea being poured into a glass in slow motion and then milk's added in and it's all on a robotic arm yeah so it's kind of like this it almost looks like if you're doing a key shot render of something right it's it, like multiple robotic arms I feel orchestrating. Like this is sweet tea. Orchestrating. Oh no! It, it says, says coffee in the description. <laughs> Why would you put milk in sweet tea? But the Brits yeah. do. Uh, they don't have have sweet tea. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> <coughs> Not that I'm aware Sorry, of. Uh, but <laughs> I just got really upset there. That's why. That's why I started coughing. But no, like what what he what Steve is essentially doing, he's got multiple robotic arms that are all controlling, like and orchestrating what's going on. I here. really like the burger flip. Can we look at the burger? Yeah, flip? Yeah, let's look at the burger flip. Okay. So he has a, he has a robotic arm that flips a burger. Yeah, and it lands. He he has it programmed so well that it lands on a burger patty, and the burger goes up like yeah. three feet in the air. And and the other thing that is also crucial to this whole process is that the camera itself is on a robotic arm. Everything's on robots. So like everything, I, I can't imagine how much like testing yeah, and, and like figuring out, like I don't know how he does it with the camera. Like I don't know how he programs the robot to do that or I, if it's just like a motion sort of thing where he like he does it once and I the bet, robot replicates it i bet there's a lot of way to like it, like change how high the burger flips yeah and so you kind of just adjust the like you kind of set the camera and then you adjust everything else to yeah the camera i mean he is uh, he is in new york city maybe we can uh get him on the pod oh man what? i mean yeah this this reminds me of like i, I guess this is probably for like applebee's or something <laughs> I love that you go to Applebee's. It's got the Applebee's aesthetic. I don't. What? I think. Okay, it's, sorry. Chili's. Is it? Is it better than that? Is it better than Applebee's? Well, I. I guess I was thinking more like Carl's Jr. Or oh, like for sure. Hardee's or I don't know. But <laughs> when I when I saw the sweet sweet tea, definitely was thinking like Bojangles for sure. <laughs> I know it's coffee, but it definitely looked like sweet tea. You just. That's just Nick wanting sweet tea to be in every restaurant in yeah. New York. There's no sweet tea in New York, and no. it's frustrating. No, even at Chick Fil A. Yeah, and that, then the, that seems illegal to me. And then the the waitresses are just like, "Did you just call me sweetie?" Oh, no. Dear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, that guys. doesn't happen. But uh, but yeah, really cool work from Steve Geralt, and that's Steve S T E V E G I R A L T. Um, yeah. Yeah, check it out. You'll get sucked into these videos for sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh, buy a pin, guys. Hey, buy a pin. Minor details pin. 
Uh, we've sold a few more, and we still have more left. So if you want to support the podcast, this is a great way to support us. And just, you know, a little fidget spinner, a little little represent. Got to gotta rep, the, it, rep the crowd, you know? I need to – we're doing – we should oh, get – unboxing. We, can, we should get Seth Fowler to do an unboxing okay. of the pen. James is taking it out of the, the crinkly plastic. Yeah, we're doing some ASMR here. <laughs> Spinning it now. Yeah. Um, and then there subscribe go. on YouTube. Subscribe on Apple. Subscribe on Spotify. Yeah. Spotify's been doing well. I yeah. checked the metrics recently. Yeah. Um, what else? Google uh, Play. Intro, outro by Kyoshi the Kid. Of course. And yeah, as always, I'm at Nick B. Baker. And I'm at I Draw and Receipts. Peace out. Later. <laughs>